Welcome to the Financial Coaches Network, a show to help financial coaches build and grow successful coaching businesses by focusing on the three pillars, getting clients, working with clients, and running the business. I'm Garrett Fulbin. Over the first four years as a coach, I grew a successful financial coaching business to over 80K in annual revenue. And I'm Joshua Escalante Troche. As a tenured professor of entrepreneurship and a consultant, during the past two decades, I've helped more than a thousand entrepreneurs start and grow their businesses. So get that pen and paper ready or open up the notes app on your phone. It's time to build your ideal financial coaching business. We are back for a, uh, another episode of Financial Coaches Network's podcast. And what are we talking about today, Emily? Today, we are talking about basically how do you run a group coaching program? You know, how do we run them effectively? How do you format it? All that good stuff. I know we have a couple questions lingering from the last couple of weeks, so we should have time to get to those as well. Yeah. So where do you want to start? Um, let's start with how do you format them? How do you format a group coaching program? I think, I mean, you have to know how it's formatted before you actually get into the running side. The running of it. Sounds good. So as we think about group coaching, one of the fundamental problems with group coaching is that you, you don't have the same intimacy that you have with clients. You don't have the same sense of privacy that you have with clients. And one of the things that oftentimes happens with group coaching is they move from coaching to financial literacy class, right? And I think that that's one of the big um, concerns. Now, that's not to say that there can't be any financial literacy class component within a group coaching program. I think we all probably have an aspect of that in our coaching. Yeah, even in our one-on-one coaching. Yep. Uh, But it is very, very quick that it's very quick and easy to devolve group coaching sessions into just, okay, I'm going to train on a topic and then you guys can ask me questions afterward, right? Or during, right? More of a webinar, seminar, Q&A style. Right, yeah. And that is, there's value in that, but it's definitely not coaching. And now you are competing with call-in shows and you know, personal finance classes at colleges and everything else, right? And doing that more directly. And yeah. There's a certain aspect of coaching that competes with that as well. Mm-hmm. But the the Venn diagram has suddenly gone from a little bit of overlap to close oh, to a circle. Exactly. Not a circle. Yeah. And so the two formats that you want to think about, and, you know, as you think about the the, we'll call it the, coaching sessions, right? Group coaching sessions. They can take three forms in groups, right? The first form that they can take is that financial literacy. And generally you want that to be a very small percentage, right? 25% would be the higher end for that. The second format that sessions can take is they can take the form of workshops, where you sit down, uh, you know, if everyone has a computer, that's great. Everyone opens up their uh, their actual uh, budget spreadsheet, or they open up the 
money coach software or whatever it is that you're using to work with people. And you go through and actually guide them through building their budget. So there's going to be a little bit of, I'm going to explain these things to you right as we go. But the real focus is I'm explaining it to you so you know what to put in this category. How do we identify the housing and the person is actually working on it live with other people and be able to ask questions, not questions about the topics that you're talking about, but questions about how they actually apply it to their lives. Yeah. So the difference there is the financial literacy aspect is this is a budget, whereas for the workshop, it's more of this is your budget. This is how it more directly applies to you individually as a group. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then the third the third component or the third format to think about is the format of accountability. Right. Of being able to say to people, well, you said you were going to do this. Did you do it? Why not? What happened? Right. And and those are the three main formats that you want to think about with regard with regards to group coaching and what you're going to talk about in each one. And as you move through, this doesn't mean that you go, it's in that order, right? It also doesn't mean that each session has to be one thing only, right? You could have a budgeting session that is an hour long where 15, 10 to 15 minutes is, hey, let's talk about what a budget is high level, right? Now let's spend 40 minutes answering um you know, go going through and building your budget as a group and ans- asking questions. And then let's spend 10 minutes doing the accountability stuff. You can also have it where the entire financial literacy stuff just is taken out of the group meetings and it's just pre-recorded videos. Right. So, you know, whether you do it as this, each session is its own thing. And sometimes budgeting certain things may need an entire hour long session just for that workshop or you kind of break it up, that's that's the way you want to think about the formatting of it. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, the next thing is, the next concept is, you know, do we do it live? Do we do it through mm-hmm. Zoom? Do we do it through any other types of things? And the two big things that you have to think about there is interactivity, right? Groups, in order for group coaching to be really effective, we need to have some form of interactivity. Right. Zoom, Google Meet, all of that type of stuff works well for that as well as live. And the second thing that we need to think about is uh, security. Right. Uh, when Zoom first, when the pandemic first started and Zoom just got bombarded with new users that had never used it before, um, all of a sudden you had Zoom bombing going on and people entering meetings and those types of things. We all remember that time. Yes. The dark days. Was, yeah. And this was actually like a lot of people think, oh, well, that's, you know, that's unnerving or uncomfortable or whatever else. But that's this is actually a really, really big deal. But it seems like there might be some liability issues that we as coaches might need to think about if we are presenting somebody's personal information on a Zoom screen and some random person jumps in. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and some industries are a little more concerned with that than others, right? You have things like um, hospitals where that would be a huge HIPAA violation, right? Uh, you also have things like law offices where someone randomly coming in, 
that just destroyed attorney client privilege because a third party was there. And so that could have a huge impact on uh, on the actual case in that scenario. Um, so while we have more liability than a lot of under other industries, it's nice that we don't have quite as much as some of them. <laughs> the stakes are high, but they could be higher. They could be higher. Yes, exactly. And so those are those are the things that you want to kind of think about. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing to think about with regards to the format is with one-on-one coaching, you can have a little bit more, we'll call it um, free flow of conversation, right? It's It's very, very easy to go in and say, here are the topics that we could discuss during this meeting, or these are the topics that I want to discuss and, and assume that that's going to take up only half the meeting and then say, we'll just sort of talk about whatever else we want to talk about during the other half. And that's a very common thing to do in coaching, right? Some people take that a little too far and just say, we're just going to meet and we'll figure out what to talk about during the meeting. Right. And sometimes that works and sometimes you get no responses and sometimes you go off on tangents that are unproductive for everybody. Yeah. And this is the this is the fundamental problem with the group coaching. When you do that, you cannot have any time where it is. Let's talk about whatever you want to talk about, because the challenge with that is, is when you go off on a tangent with a one on one coaching person then that you know that the your audience cares about it because mm-hmm. that one-on-one person brought it up and they're engaged in and they're asking questions when you go off on a tangent when you're looking at doing entire groups then you got one person really engaged and the other x number of people really really upset that this is that not the other client is wasting their time that you are wasting their time. Yeah. Right. She just, she just said you as a moderator need to control the situation. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I would highly recommend that people do if they're going to do and group coaching and really get into group coaching is go to a community college and take a class in the education department uh, where there is a classroom management a portion of the class or as read an, a book on classroom management. As somebody with an education minor that I may still be salty about that it should have been a major because it has as many classes as most majors anyway. <laughs> um, classroom management is the bane of every teacher, every new teacher especially. Yeah. And yeah, getting that background. Yeah, you have, have to have you have classroom management skills. Yeah, yeah, you have to have it if you're going to do group coaching. Um because it's it you don't it's very easy to be to have blinders on when you are doing group coaching just like young teachers it's very easy to have blinders on to be in an environment where you're talking to the entire class and you are feeling like you are helping that person and you are but you're not realizing how it negatively impacts the rest of the class Right. Same thing with a group coaching model. You've got eight people in there. You're really helping with that one person, but it has a big negative impact on the rest of the class. And the solution to that is not to say, well, I'm not going to deal with anyone individually. Everyone's going to always be a group because that's the other end of the extreme. And you're not actually helping 
your class, your students, or in this case, your clients in a group. Um, so there's this balance between the two, and there is very much an art for that. Um, and so I would highly recommend some education classes if you're going to do group coaching. Definitely. Yeah. So once you've structured your group program, mm -hmm. if you've made a plan, you're like, yep, we're meeting on Zoom, we're having these meetings, we're talking about these things. How do you run the coaching, which we've kind of gotten into with the classroom management thing, but how do you how do you engage in that way? So one of the big challenges with group coaching is it's very hard for you as the coach to see how engaged people are. When you're working one-on-one -on -one with people, you've got a, a dialogue, a constant dialogue going on. Uh, you also have, let's assume that it's Zoom, you also have one Zoom screen <laughs> you're looking at. Yeah. Right. Or in person, one person or one maybe person. two if you're working with a couple. Yeah. Which, again, a lot easier to bounce between. Yeah. And it's very, very difficult to gauge that engagement as you have more and more people in a room or in a uh, on a Zoom. And so that's the biggest thing that you have to deal with is how do we keep people engaged? How do I know we keep people engaged? Right. Uh, one of the things that... And again, classroom management, we'll talk a lot about that type of stuff. One of the things that can be beneficial is if you are expecting people to take notes, um, you know, there's a there's a problem with that. And that is if they're taking notes, then by definition, they're not engaged. Everyone remembers in college, someone throws up, a teacher throws up a screen that has 900 words on the on the PowerPoint slide. The and you are, yeah, and you were sitting there just trying to frantically write everything down, right? While the teacher is talking While the teacher about is something talking. that may or may not be directly related to what's on the screen that you're supposed to be yeah. copying down. Exactly. Um, you know, the only time that that works is when the teacher is even worse of a teacher and all they're doing is reading what's on the screen. <laughs> Right? Okay, that, that might be worse. <laughs> yeah. And so what you want to think about is you want to think about what am I going to, if, if I have things where I'm presenting and I'm expecting people to write stuff down, right? What am I going to give them that is going to help them not have to capture everything, but still have to engage in the content, mm. right? You know, some things are very easy. If you have a budgeting software or a budgeting Excel sheet, you give them that Excel sheet that's blank, right? Or the software that's already set up for them. And they are, they know, they just have to put in their numbers as they're going through it, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if you're talking about some things where there's going to be notes, right? Very simple thing to do is identify some key concepts or words or phrases and delete them from the notes that you give them mm -hmm. so that 80% of the notes are already written down for them. And all they have to do is put in uh, those key phrases, right? Uh, another thing that you can do is you can give them worksheets to fill out. So as we're talking about this and as we're working on the budget and other things along those lines, in addition to working on what we're going to be working on, here's a worksheet that's going to be what are the 
four things that I'm going to focus on this month. As we talk about these things, as you ask questions, when you identify this is one of the four things I want to focus on this month, you client write that down, right? Mm -hmm. What you're doing here is you're giving them something active to be looking for and thinking about and then active to do, but it doesn't require them to be writing the entire time. In fact, it forces them to be engaged in the conversation. Right. So you need to think about those elements that are going to keep that engagement high. Rather than watching the eyes glaze over right, or the blank Zoom screens, which is a follow-up question I have. But then they're, they're forced to be listening, but not just listening and zoning out. Because yeah. oftentimes, if you're, if you're listening to somebody lecture, we've all been in this situation, sometimes People are absolutely amazing, obviously, and they keep your attention for an hour plus, and you're like, wow, can they just keep talking? I just want to hear more. Yeah. Most of us, I would hazard a guess, are not very well-trained public speakers, the most you know, charming, engaging, inspirational people out there. So having something to help them kind of split their focus, but enhancing both sides of that split between the workshop and what you're saying, but having them complement each other. I yeah. think that's that's a good idea. Yeah. Um, okay. So you had a question. Yeah. No, you had a question. Yes. Yes. So I was going to say tangential question. Now or later. We'll go now. Yeah. Say you're on Zoom. Mm -hmm. Do you set a policy about cameras on or off? Because I I know because I have seen it. You have taught virtual classes where everybody has their screens off. Yeah. And I know that you have mentioned that being challenging. Yes. And I know a lot of other people have mentioned that being challenging because you feel like you're talking to yourself. Do you set a policy on that? Telling people, if you are going to participate in my group program, you need your screen on. Do you leave it up to them? Do you strongly encourage it? How do you, how do you handle that? So you cannot set the policy after the fact. A hundred percent. Right. This has to be part of the advertising, mm -hmm. not just in your agreement, right? This has to be Hidden. part of your advertising. Hidden in line 793 right. of the agreements. Yeah, not good. <laughs> and and the reason why is for um, reasons other than what people might think, right? Okay. Uh, so very, 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 very few schools have a policy where the cameras have to be on. Mm-hmm. And the ones that do just haven't had the experience that causes them to remove that policy yet. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is, number one, you don't have control over 60 people's homes like you do over a single person, a classroom, right? Or your conference room if it's a business. And that's a big problem because what ends up happening is you end up with people walking by in their underwear behind, right? Yep. <laughs> but that's not actually the problem. Or seeing the piles of things you don't want to see in the background yeah. or whatever. So what you what ends up happening with, and the reason why most schools do not allow for that type of policy is because it is an access issue and it is a uh, equity issue. And a lot, and people don't quite realize this, but uh, it's same thing with having uh, audio, always having audio on, mm -hmm. uh, because some people, their family home life is not 
conducive to that type of environment. And so what ends up happening is um, students or coaching clients who have a family home life that's not conducive to that, uh, they end up not engaging as fully or just not showing up. Um, they end up um, being a distraction to the rest. And it's not because they're a distraction. It's because there are people fighting in the background, right? And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, if they are, if they are younger and they have parents or siblings or other things, it could also be they have kids and the kids are running around, right? And so it's one of those things where you really have to think about is this, how valuable is this relative to the potential downsides? Mm -hmm. right? and, and unfortunately, in some ways, our comfort, not unfortunately, but I, your comfort as the person leading the group coaching does not take more priority yeah. than the people in your group coaching program getting the value that they paid for. Yeah. And what I would say is pay attention to how you responded when I say, when I said, if you're going to have that policy, it needs to be prominent in your advertising, meaning you need to have huge, bold headline size letters, all cameras and audio need to be on the entire time during the session. And pay attention to how you respond to that. If you think, well, no, I wouldn't want to do that because I, you know, people will, might not take my program. What you've just identified there is that your niche, that policy would not be beneficial for serving them. And I think we can all agree that having your aud requiring audio on is an absolutely terrible idea because we've all been in Zoom calls where people have their audio on yeah. and don't mean to. We've I know we've had a couple family Zoom calls over the past couple of years with you know, two generations above me. So like my husband's grandparents right. and that kind of thing. And the, the, how do I put this very tactfully? The older generation in technology don't always get along <laughs> and don't always, yeah. the, the etiquette is not always there in that aspect of life. The, yeah. the etiquette in other areas of life is significantly higher than a lot of us younger people yeah. in many ways. Yeah. The technology etiquette is not something that many people know and are aware of and that's okay yeah but yeah now, the one thing you do have on zoom though is you have as the host you have the mute hammer which is wonderful and so they used that yeah and so one of the things that i always recommend another thing with regards to running the program the first thing that you should do is click the button for the participants to pop up the second thing that you should do is click the button for the chat to pop up. And the third thing that you should do is move the participants in the chats uh, to your screen right next to your camera, into the area of your screen right next to your camera, so that while you're looking at the camera, you can see the chat if anything comes up. And you can also very quickly identify which microphone is live that's causing problems. Right. And be able to mute it. Right. Um, in addition to that, get comfortable with the mute all button. I will oftentimes tell students um, I don't do group coaching, uh, but in webinars or in with with students when I teach classes, I will tell them that I will regularly hit the mute all button. It's not because I don't want to hear you. It's because it's faster to do that than trying to find the person that might have background noise going on. So if you 
want to say anything, unmute yourself. I am not muting all because I don't want you guys to have your microphones off. I am muting all because of so on and so forth, right? And that those types of mechanisms are really, really important um, in for our Senate meetings uh, through Zoom. Uh, we have um, criteria for the chat, for example, where we say, if you're just responding to people in the chat, then go ahead and type it out. But if you're putting something in the chat that you want me to respond to, if there's a question that you want me to respond to, or if there is a um, if there is a comment that you want read aloud, right? Put three asterisks in front of it and then type your comment. And that way it allows you to not have to read, especially if you have a very active group that's chatting a lot, but it's they're chatting kind of having a in-depth conversation on the side of what you're talking about and it's on topic, so it's not problematic, right? Uh, it keeps you from having to spend a lot of time looking at it. You can just see, oh, where are the ones with the three stars? Those are the only ones I'm going to read. That's so, a really good strategy. And, and, you know, those are mechanisms that you want to remind people of. So every Senate meeting, we go over, here are the rules, right? This is what we're going to do. <laughs> Might not hurt, especially if you're doing some sort of presentation where each week you've got slides that you're showing or whatever. Just exactly. have that first slide be group norms. Put three yeah. stars if you want me to see it. Mute yourself. Unmute yourself if you want to talk, et cetera. Yeah. Yep. Going through those things. So. All right. And I know we have a couple of questions from previous yes. uh, conversations. So first one is basically, how do you price group coaching sessions, yeah. especially in comparison to one-on-one? -on -one? If you have a one-on-one -on -one program and you have a price set, how do you price I guess if it's relevant, having one-on-one, -on -one, how do you set yeah. those pricing points? So there's two components to that. There's the business side of it, right? Which is you need to think about how much time is it going to take to do this? What do I want? You know, how have I priced my one-on-one -on -one coaching from the perspective of the value of my time? And then how do I build that into group coaching, right? Uh, one of the things that I will oftentimes see is people will put way too low of a cost per session on group coaching and say, I'm going to make it up in volume, right? Dangerous. Dangerous. Yeah. Cause it means you have to have volume for every co group coaching, right? At the same time, it, it should be, and it needs to be significantly less than one-on-one. -on -one. Otherwise, why have it? Right. So right. there's that balancing act. Um, I would um, I would make it so that if you have four people in the group, that the group is now uh, paying you what you feel you uh, deserve, right? That's the highest I would go. I would not go to five or six people, right? Um, so that's that's the first side of it. The second side of it is from the perspective of your audience, right? And the question there is, how are they going to value that group coaching? Right. Why are they choosing group coaching over one-on-one -on -one coaching? Right. If the primary reason is because they can't afford group coaching, then that's going to suggest that you need to lower it lower, right? Much lower than you might otherwise lower it. Right. 
Uh, again, not down to $10 per session though. Right. Right. Um, on the, on the flip side of it, if it's because this group coaching program is going, is a huge value and they want the group coaching, right. They value the group coaching more than the one-on-one, right. Then you might not adjust the pricing as much, right. It may only be a slightly lower cost. Uh, the other thing that you have to think about is why are you doing group coaching, right? So going back to uh, the previous conversation that we had, uh, the previous episode, uh, is this at the beginning, the middle, or the end of your sales funnel, right? If it's in the beginning or middle, then it may be worthwhile to do a $20 session because it's not actually what you're getting paid for you're just getting paid a little bit of money to do marketing, right? If group coaching is what you're trying to get to at the end, then, you, then you're then you going to have a higher price point for that, much closer to your normal rates. Um, as you think about the cost of it, realize that your time is not just the time of the coaching sessions. Mm-hmm. Think about what do I have to do before each session? What do I have to do to prepare for it? How often am I going to be replying to emails between sessions? Uh, if you're going to write up a summary of everyone's accountability things after the meeting, that time has to be incorporated in, right? So think about all the things that happen outside of the meeting that have to happen for this individual group and make sure that that time is accounted for in your, I want to be paid $50 an hour and how many, how many hours is each group session going to cost me? Yeah, right? not it's not even, it's like you said, it's not just the time in the session. It's not even because I know I have also have sometimes fallen into the trap of thinking, oh, it's the session and the time that I spent, you know, making a program or whatever. Right. But it's also all the administrative side of of replying to emails, like you said, and the marketing to fill the group session. And the I mean, it's yeah, it's there's always more time than we think of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that you have to be very, very careful of. Right. Um, I have one service that is just the time of the meeting, and that's all I'm charging for is just the time in the meeting. And when people ask me to do something outside of the meeting, the response to that is not a problem. Uh, do you? It's $350 per hour to do work outside of the meeting. Would you rather, would you, do you want me to? Uh, do the work outside of our meeting, or do you want to work on it in a workshop session during one of our next meetings? Right. Um, and, and that's what you have to be comfortable with doing and sticking to if you are going to just charge for the meeting time. And in groups, that is really hard to do. Really hard to do. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. We've got one more question. Go for it. Do you think that group coaching gains more referrals from those in the group because they it feels less vulnerable to start and kind of builds the bandwagon? I do think that they can generate more referrals, but they can also generate fewer and for two different reasons, right? Um, there's an aspect of it that sort of pushes the slider toward easier for referrals, and that is money is a very private topic. I think Mm -hmm. it's more private than it needs to be. 
right? And that causes all sorts of um, of issues from a referral standpoint because people don't want to talk to their friends about money, right? Yep. When you're in a group session, you're now as a client, you're now comfortable with talking to other people about money. You've gotten over that huge taboo. And when you get over it in one aspect of your life, it makes it easier to talk to it, to other people about it. So from that perspective, it, it kind of pushes the slider toward referrals, right? The other perspective, or the other thing that pushes it the other way is what she just wrote in the comments. Yeah, I truly enjoy doing group sessions, but it's very difficult to recruit and the results vary. And here's the important thing. Group sessions are just not as impactful as one-on-one sessions. Right. And that's what pushes it the other way, is that you are not going to get the same level of impact as one-on-one. And as a result, the yes, people are more likely to talk but they may not rave about it as much when they do talk as a one-on-one session. And so where does it end up landing? Uh, I think it really depends on your audience, right? It depends on your niche. Uh, But those are the two things that you need to think about, right? The more comfortable your niche is with talking with other people about money, the less impactful or the less beneficial, the fact that they've gotten over talking about money is, right? Which means that you're really being impacted more by the fact that this group coaching sessions are not as impactful as one-on-one. On the other hand, if your niche is really, really highly averse to talking about money with other people, right? Then it's more likely that uh, that's going to have that that positive of they've gotten over that taboo in one aspect of their life is going to have a, a bigger impact than the fact that your coaching doesn't have as big of an impact. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a big part of, yeah, as with always, it's it's really depends on your niche at which one of those two factors is going to play a bigger role in whether or not you get referrals out of group coaching. Really quick, one last little question. Yes. How do you make that group coaching as impactful as possible? Um, Well, you need to make sure the big thing there is those two things we started with, right? Which is you need to stay away from financial literacy education, right? And again, that is where you're naturally going to go, right? That is a huge problem. So you need to stay away from it. Uh, and you need to be focused on workshops and accountability, right? The more time and the more effective you are at helping people actually doing the things, doing the work during the group coaching sessions and answering their questions around it. And the more effective you are at creating mechanisms for them to be accountable. So how do they apply it to their lives and how do they make sure they actually did apply it to their lives, <laughs> right? Those are the two things you really want to focus on to make it make it in session more effective. Um, I think Chi's statement is always going to be true, which is it's just never going to be as effective because no matter what you do, you cannot 
apply, help a group apply what you're talking about to their lives as effectively as you can when you're focusing on one person. Because and, what what do we call it? Personal finance. Right, right. There's only so much that applies to everybody. And yeah. And then and then you've got the issue of accountability, right? There's there's only so much you can do with accountability in a group uh, versus what you can do one-on-one. And because now I feel like we're ending on a downer. That's not <laughs> to say that group coaching isn't worthwhile and valuable and doesn't right. help people make really positive changes because it absolutely can. And just because it's not as impactful as one-on-one doesn't mean it's not worth doing. Correct, yeah. It all, yeah. It all circles back to who is your niche? Is this a good fit for them? Is this a good fit for you? Because not everybody likes doing group sessions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. Make it a little, got to end on a positive note here. You bring ha- <laughs> happiness and rainbows and unicorns. And I, yeah. So that would, that's all my five year old ever wants rainbows <laughs> and unicorns and dinosaurs and dragons, but good combinations. Um, all the good kid stuff. Yeah. All right. Have a good week. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe so you'll be the first to know when new episodes are released. Uh, It also helps iTunes and everything else know that you liked it and suggest it to other people. And if you can think of one person, a financial coach or someone aspiring to be, who would connect with what we talked about today, share it with them as well. If you're ready to take the next step and build your successful financial coaching business, FCN has turnkey resources to help you get clients, work with clients effectively, and run your business efficiently. Head to Financial Coaches Network backslash start here or Financial Coaches Network backslash stall if you're Sean Connery. Thank you again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode of the Financial Coaches Network podcast.